Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. All right, who's ready for week two? Buckle up, here we go again. Uh, Man, today we're jumping into the second week of a three-week series that we are calling Man Up. Um, And so if you missed last week or this is your first time with us, this series is primarily geared for the fellas in the house. So if you are a dude between age 12 all the way to 82 and anywhere in between, these three weeks are for you. And here's what we're doing. We are looking at God's design for manhood, God's design for manhood. And I realize some of you, maybe you saw something on social media or you were here last week and you're going, man, why would you spend three whole weeks just primarily talking to the guys? Don't you realize there's a lot of other people in the house? And so here would be my answer to that question is that it is amazing how when the man leads well in the marriage and the family and the relationships and whatever he's leading, when he walks in righteousness and truth and God's design for him, it's amazing how other people will follow. But when the man refuses to walk in God's design for him in the marriage and the family and the relationships and the business, whatever he's leading, it is amazing how people will follow that as well. All right. And so in reality, it's not just a a series for the guys. It's called Man Up. But in reality, it's a series for everyone because how the man leads or doesn't lead affects everyone else in the house. Now, ladies, I told you last week that this series is for you, too. And single ladies, I I, I begged you. I asked you. I said, hey, I'm just saying you probably need to take more notes during this series than anybody else, because a lot of you are on the market for a man. All right. You are looking And here's what I'm giving you. I am giving you an inventory list of the things that you need to look for in that hunk of hunk of burning love that you're dying for, all right? And, and, and I told you last week, if you were here, you remember, I looked at you and I said it plain and simple. I'm not taking it back. I said that when that man comes to you and he pursues you and he's like, you're the one and you are so beautiful and you are so awesome and this and that and he does all those things and all those great things he did for you for Valentine's Day and he does not meet the inventory list. I told you to look at him eye to eye and if you remember what I said, I said to tell him that your pastor said that he He's not good enough for you. All right. That's what I told you to tell him. And I got word this week. All right. Of a lady who was here in our midst last week. And she dropped John Doe this past week because he didn't meet the inventory list. And she told him that my pastor said, you're not good enough for me. How about that? All right. Now, I, I did not know that it would take effect that fast and quite like that. Uh, but hey, if he ain't good enough, then you got to drop it like it's hot and keep shopping, right? <laughs> and if you are a married or dating lady in the house, remember your role during this series is not to amen the preacher. There's no, that's right, brother. Come on, bring it some more. Don't do that. And your role is not to swing elbows at the man who is sitting next to you or who you may share this video link with later in the week. Don't do it. Don't do it. Here's your role, ladies. In all seriousness, your role is to affirm the man in your life, whether it's a boyfriend, a husband, a dad, a brother, a son, whatever, to affirm him. Because we said it last week, the affirmation and the encouragement from women is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. Now, if you've got a copy of God's word, open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. 
First Peter chapter five scripture will be on the screen for you to follow along. And if you're a fella in the house, all right, if you missed last week, then you missed what I prefaced everything with. And so I got to say it again, because some of you, if you didn't hear it last week, then you're going to leave here in just a little bit or in about 20 minutes, you're going to be going, this guy's crazy. Here, here's, here's the preface. Okay. The things that I am presenting and laying out to you over these three weeks in no way am I just nailing them all the time as a man. All right. In other words, I am growing daily, continually as a man, as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor. God's given me all those roles. So I'm not batting a thousand at any of the things that I'm laying out for you. So I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. I'm a man with you. Here's the second thing you need to know, guys. And if this is your first time with you, I'm, I'm telling you this. Lean in. Over these three weeks together, which today is part of those three weeks, I am not holding anything back. I'm not. If you were here last week, you're like, no, he didn't hold nothing back. Okay. I'm not holding anything back. Here's why. Here's why. First, I know that we like a challenge as guys. At least I do. Second, God has given us the most important influential role in all of humanity. I want you to hear that. The most important influential role in all of humanity as a man. And statistics show that we are failing and the clock is running out. So we don't have time to sugarcoat or tiptoe around the truth. So we're not going to do that today. All right. We're going first Peter chapter five. And today what I want to do is I want to lay out some truth for you that other men have laid out for me. That's kind of opened my eyes towards God's design for manhood. And we started last week, guys, by saying this This is what we said. What determines what is a man is not what the world says. It's not what the world says. It is not how big your truck is, how much you can bench press, how many tools or guns you got. It's not how big your deer is. It's not how many football players you can name or how much steak you can eat. It's not it. All right. What determines who is a man and what it means to be a man is what God says, because God is the one who created manhood. Therefore, he gets to determine what it means to be a man. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at that. And last week we looked at the building of a man, what it means to to have a man formed. And we went to back to the very beginning, Genesis two and three. If you missed last week, you can go on our website. You can watch the video, listen to the podcast, whatever you want to do today. We're going to go from building of a man kind of in that same vein, but we're going to talk about what does it mean to have a strong foundation as a man? What does it mean to have a strong foundation? If you've ever built or helped build or tried to buy a house, you know how important the foundation is right? The house stands or falls based on how strong the foundation is. And as men, if we're going to lead well, it is imperative that we have a strong foundation because the enemy who is very real would love nothing more than to take down the foundation of the man. He would love to do that. Here's why. Because the enemy knows if he can take down the foundation of the man, he can take down everybody else around him too. That's why there are women and students and children in this room right now who, who have real scars and real struggles and real wounds because there was a man who was supposed to stand up and hold them up and he fell and they felt the effects of it. And listen to me, guys, there's real talk here. You want to know why like the ladies are so fired up about this series and why so, like some of you, you're here out of obligation today. Like she was pestering you until you just showed up. Here's why she's so fired up about that because of what I just said. She knows the effects of when you don't lead, and she doesn't want that to happen. She wants to follow you. Right. I'm telling you, okay? That's why you're here. That's why she called you here. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to talk about how to identify five things, 1 Peter 5, five things that the enemy tries to do to break up and shake the foundation that we're trying to build on as a man. We're not only going to look at what the enemy does, but we're going to talk about how to get around it. 
how to avoid it. We're going to put a plan into play. Peter says in verse 1 of chapter 5, we're going to read more in just a second, but in verse 1 of chapter 5, he's talking to the elders of the church. In other words, probably older guys, leadership within the church. And then if you skip down to verse 5, it says he's also talking to the young men. In other words, what we're going to talk about today from God's word is for all the dudes. It's for everybody, 12 to 82 and anywhere in between. And one of the things that the text tells us is that we have an enemy who wants to devour us. We have a very real enemy, a very real opposition. And here's what you got to know. I don't care how big a boy you are. He is bigger than you. He is stronger than you. And he can whoop your tail. I didn't say that. I'm just saying the enemy said that. Okay, don't take me out. In scripture, Jesus gives us the mission statement of the enemy. You want to know what his plan is? John chapter 10, verse 10, it says that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. Doesn't that sound really pleasant? Steal, kill, and destroy. And verse 8 that we're going to read here in just a minute says that the enemy is like a lion wanting and waiting to devour us. How many of you have ever seen a lion eat something before? Like on Discovery Channel, you got locked in a lion show, or you went to the zoo and it was feeding time. How many of you know, you don't want to mess with a lion when he is eating? Like you just, just, I don't even want to be near the cage. Because he will devour whatever is in his way. And what scripture says is the enemy who wants to shake your foundation of as a man, he is a lion. He is a lion. So we're going to look at five approaches that he takes towards you, and then how to get around that. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Fellas, take notes. Here's the first thing the enemy wants to do to destroy your foundation. Here's what he wants to use pride. He wants to use pride. Now, pride can simply be defined as when we think too highly of ourselves. Pride, in other words, pride is when we think that we are better than other people. Pride is probably that feeling that you felt before when you walk in Walmart late at night, you look at all the crazy people, and you're like, oh, come on, I'm better than that one, right? Just a side note here, if you ever want to have your view of the love of God expanded, go to Walmart late at night on Christmas Eve and just be like, God loves all these people too. <laughs> he does, yeah. Hello, Walmart, people, people of Walmart.com. Pride is when we think, pride is when we think that we are better than others, and we believe that this thing is about me. We forget that it's, it's God's story, and we make it about our story, and we expect God to come around to our story. That's what pride is. And here's the thing about pride. No one ever admits to pride. Nobody admits to pride. I've never sat down with somebody in my office and be like, just, hey, Pastor Bryant, well, my battle is I got pride. They don't do that. Pride's really, really easy to see in someone else, but it's really hard to see in ourselves. But here's what Scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So guys, if you want to be on the other side of God, wouldn't recommend it, but if you want to be on the other side, you want him to slow you down in what you're doing as a man, then just be proud. Be proud. And the, and the options for the, the proud people are this. You can be humble or you can be humbled. Like you, you can bow down or you can bow down. In other words, you can surrender and trust Jesus now as he makes that offer to you, or when Jesus returns as king and Lord and sovereign over all things, and he is present and very much in control, you will bow down in that moment. Pride pulls so many of us away from God, and we all struggle with pride. So here's some questions to ask yourself, guys. I want you to do a little self-inventory. Do you seek credit? Do you have a problem complimenting others? Your wife, coworkers, especially maybe when they did a lot of the work? Do you have trouble with that? Do you require a thank you? And are you ticked off when you don't get one? 
If we scroll through your social media feed right now, what would it show us? How great God is or how great and unhappy you are? Or how about this one? Do you like to be right? Do you like to be right? Just honest confession here. I like to be right. Like, I just really enjoy being right. What God says, that's a pride problem. That's a pride problem. So if the enemy is here to take you down, to take down your foundation with pride, what do we do? How do we attack that? First, we just read it. Verse 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. One of the primary ways that we humble ourselves under God's rule and God's reign over us is through worship. See, some of you don't realize, like, that first 20 minutes of what we do every week at 9, 15, 11, like, that's actually not Christian karaoke. <laughs> it's not. It's not that we were, like, sitting around Tuesday and going, what are we going to do to fill the whole hour this week? All right, band, what you got this week? Entertain us. That, that's not it. Here's the primary reason that we, like, engage in musical worship every week and that we engage in the hearing and the teaching of God's Word. This is it right here. One, to remind us of our emptiness without God in us. That's objective number one. And second thing is this, to remind ourselves and help us realize the magnificence and the grace of God for us. That's it. And corporate worship is an incredible tool against the approach of pride that the enemy wants to devour us with. But can I be really, really honest with you, fellas? A lot of you won't worship because you're just prideful. Don't, don't play that. I can't really sing really good. We've never kicked anybody out in four and a half years because they couldn't sing good. Just not, it's not happened. But for some of you, you're too prideful to open your mouth to the very one who breathed life into you. Or you're too prideful to raise your hands to the one who stretched out his for you on the cross. And you want to play the tough man card, but in all reality check, you're just prideful. Okay? Pride is one of the attacks of the enemy. And one of the ways that we, we keep it in check is through worship and reminding ourselves of how great God is and how small we really, really are. In Job, uh, the book of Job, towards the end, Job puts God on trial. Not highly recommended, but Job did it. Um, and God responds to Job towards the end of his book. In, in chapter 38, um, God looks at Job, and I love how God addresses Job. He says, brace yourself like a man. So you know this is going to be good. And then God asked Job a few questions. He was like, hey, Job, uh, where were you when I created the whole earth? Like, I don't remember if you were present for that day of class. Like, where were you when I put the stars in place and the planets out there and I parted the seas? Were you here for that? Don't remember that. And basically, he's looking at Job and he's like, dude, there's parts of your own back that you can't even scratch and you think you're in control. Like, you, you can't even lick your own elbow and you're going to tell me what to do? God looks at Job and he puts Job in his place because here's the deal. Humility is not a feeling, but it's a posture. It's not something you just get in your feels. It's like exercise. It's not a feeling. It's a thing that you do. You humble yourself before the mighty hand and the rule and the reign of God. That's why scripture says that you would fear the Lord. It's not be scared of him necessarily, but it's have a holy reverent fear for who he is and who you're not. And then at the end of verse six, it says that he may that he, in other words, there's a promise that could come with that. And so if we humble ourselves enough, God may exalt us and put us in a place of power and prominence and authority. And if he does, man, you walk in great humility as long as God leaves you there. Because the enemy would love to use pride to destroy us. Let's go back to 1 Peter 5. Pick up with verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him. On God, on Jesus, because he cares for you. Here's the second thing that the enemy wants to use, fellas, to destroy our foundation. It's worry and anxiety. 
worry and anxiety. For men, this typically plays out when we worry about work and we worry about money. That's just where it typically goes. We twist those two things because we begin to find our identity in our activity, in what we do. That's why when you think uh, of a type of man, you're like, hey, a man is based on like what he does, how much he brings in, how good is his job. And that's what we think about. And that's why when someone asks you, like, what are you, you name your occupation. Well, I'm a builder, I'm a carpenter, I'm an electrician, a plumber, a CPA, a teacher, a coach. What, we name those things. In reality, we get so caught up in that, and then we hide behind this excuse of, like, I'm just working really, really, really hard all the time, 24-7, so I can provide all these things to help make my family happy because that's what they really want. Oh, really? Is that what your family really wants? When's the last time you ask them? Chances are they want you more than they want all those things that you're trying to work to get them that you think is going to make them happy. You don't believe me? Ask them. But so many times as men, we place our idolatry, our getting caught up in our activity and who we are and what we do. We place all that and we blame it on the people who are closest to us. But it really rests on us and our worry and anxiety. But the other thing that we worry about as men is this. We worry about what people think about us. Now, we're not really that much into being liked, but we just want to be impressive. We just want to be impressive. Why, why we do that? That's why we drive big trucks, why we drive fast, why we tell stories to one-up our friends, and why we work ourselves to the bone to impress people that we don't even really know. But we just want to be impressive. So let me ask you guys, are you worried or anxious about something? Are you? Think about this. What can you really do about it? What can you really do about it? Do you think that you have to control the situation? Because a lot of times I do. Now hear me clearly. We said it last week that God has given man a work to do, a work to enjoy. And so you need to be concerned about the welfare of your family. You need to care for them and help provide for their essential needs. But what happens is it becomes an idol when we try to take control of the situation and we think it all depends on us. So the real question becomes, are you putting more hope and more trust in your situations or are you putting more hope and trust in your sovereign and sufficient Savior? Because let me just say, he's better than you are and me. So if the enemy is using worry and anxiety in your life, what do you do? Well, I think we just read it. Do we read verse 7 together? It says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Now, this idea of casting our cares and our worries on Jesus, what Peter's saying is that we literally, we chunk them on Jesus and we leave them there. It's not going to weigh him down. He's all right. But then we would cast them on him. But I heard a preacher say that a lot of times when we cast our cares on Jesus, it's really like casting a rod and reel. We throw it out there, but in all reality, we still got the reel here, and we just reel those things back in. Think about it. It happens every week right here. Like some of you are going to do it today. We sang it a while ago. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all, all my cares, anxieties, worries. Here's my storm, Jesus. And you're going to walk out there, and about 2 o'clock this afternoon, you're going to go, but i got to get that thing back because i got to worry about it some more. (laughs) Don't do that. Like, that's not putting your hope and trust in Jesus. That's not casting our cares on him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go to sleep, those those worries and anxieties, they start creeping back up in my brain. And that's why every day I have to remember and, like, cast my cares on Jesus again today. I got to put my faith and trust in him again today. I heard a quote that says this, if you pray, why worry? If you worry, why pray? See, God's a good dad. And he loves you. And if it's important to you guys, it's important to him. 
Every week, my four-year-old son brings home some artwork from back in Little Life, our preschool area. And I mean, like, if you probably looked at it, it's like a piece of construction paper with just a hodgepodge of finger paint and colors and crayon. You're like, what is that, dude? To me, as his dad, it's a masterpiece. Why? Because that's my boy. And God's the same way with you. If it matters to you, it matters to him. And guess what? It's too big for you, but it's not too big for him. And that's why he says, man, cast your cares, cast your worry and anxiety on me because I care for you. So the enemy uses worry and anxiety and he uses pride. But go back to our passage, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Let's just kind of park it right there. Be alert and of sober mind. Third thing that the enemy uses to shake our foundation as men is laziness and irresponsibility. Laziness and irresponsibility. Buckle up. Laziness and the giving up of our responsibility as men. Scripture just said this, guys. It says, be alert and sober-minded. Here's what Peter is saying. In other words, men, God calls us to stand guard for our family for our marriage, for our relationships. God is calling us to stand guard for our family. But here's the truth. Some men literally and figuratively are sitting on the couch, drinking beer, eating potato chips, and playing video games while the world passes them by and the enemy takes out their family. And that's not leadership. Scripture says, be alert and sober-minded. And for some of you, that literally starts with being sober Now, let me say this. For some of you, you may be here and you're in an addiction program right now. Let me just tell you, you're doing the right thing because you're here today and you're allowing us to surround you and point you towards hope and love and purpose and truth and life in Christ. And we're proud of you and we're glad you're here. We want to help you. But for some of the other fellas, we need to get off our backside and we need to get in the game. Because the enemy would love to use laziness and irresponsibility. And I don't really care and it ain't that big a deal. He would love to use that. And he does. And part of the gospel, a huge part of the gospel that's totally contradictory to the American dream that like we're all just so busy chasing out there Monday to Saturday is this right here. If you're into following Jesus, you're probably not signed up for a comfortable life. (laughs) Following Jesus is not always a comfortable life. It's not. Now, it's a life of hope and purpose that's eternally important, but it ain't always comfortable. Think about it. What are we called? A follower of Jesus. What does it mean to follow somebody? Means to, means to do what they do, to follow where they went. Where did Jesus go? He went to the cross. And Jesus, if you look in Scripture, Jesus do miracles and he'd heal somebody. And everybody's like, dude, I'm in that guy's camp. Like, like his page, I'm on, I'm on with him. And then he looks at him in the next breath and he goes, now I want you to take up your cross and follow me and live a life of surrender. And No, that's, that's not right. And that's an uncomfortable zone. I don't want to do that. And following Jesus is not always comfortable. The reality is that no man who claims to follow Jesus, who claims to follow Jesus, should be lazy or bored. If you're bored, there's this thing called the Great Commission, where God calls us as lovers of Jesus and followers of Jesus to go and take the hope of Jesus to everyone in the world. So let me just kind of fill up your calendar and your schedule and your boredom real quick. Think of the most difficult person in your life to love. Maybe it's a cousin, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member, whatever, and take the gospel to them. Do it. Not only does he give us the great commission, but he's like, hey, when you finish that one, there's also the great commandment. In fact, why don't you do them at the same time? And the great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, are you bored? Here's what you can do. 
Man, find the thing in your community or your neighborhood, the most unjust thing that makes your stomach turn and you can't stand and give your life to solve it. You'll never be bored again. You'll never be lazy again. And as a society, we have so much time today, it seems like, to examine all the details of our life. Like we're looking at every wrinkle, every mole, every imperfection. Okay, let me just lay it out for you. It only gets worse. We're all getting older. And if you figure out how to fight that, all right, let's write a book together. But here's the thing. You know the people who are not really caught up in that so much? I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, but you know the people who are not really caught up in that so much? The people who are getting after it with great commission, the great commandment, doing the things that God's called them to do. They're not lazy or bored. So fellas, here's some questions. What are the distractions in your life right now? What are the distractions? Are you more concerned about your hobby than your family and God's mission for you? Are you more concerned about your sports team than your family at home? Hello. Are you more concerned about hunting season or this season of life that God has you in right now? Men, we don't have time to be lazy and irresponsible. We don't. Guys, here's one of the things that happens. We get lazy by avoiding things. We just avoid them. And I wonder for some of you, like what are some decisions or some action steps that God is calling you to step out in that you're just avoiding? God says today, get in the game. Get in the game and lead and watch how they'll follow. Now, fellas, if you're bored, Here's some steps for you to take, all right? Take notes on this, guys. First, if you are married, all right, if you're lazy or bored and you're married, pursue your wife. Chase her. Don't get lazy with her. Fellas, I know you got it in you because you got her to marry you. And from this vantage point, for most of you, that was a miracle. You outpunted your coverage, if you know what I mean. All right, and you can't be a lazy boyfriend. You know what that's called? Single. And for a lot of you, man, you got her to like you because you put your game on. Like you text her, you called her, you went out with her, you paid for her dinner. You watched The Notebook and cried. You ate frozen yogurt, drank gourmet coffee. You studied her. And then she said yes. And you can't get lazy in following and pursuing your wife and in knowing her heart. We said it last week. Don't listen to her voice. Listen to her heart. And if you're a single dude in the house today, guess what? That's not an excuse for you to sit at home and play video games all day long. It's not. We said it last week. I mean, when you're single, all right, when you're single, you have an opportunity to leverage your life for the purpose that God has for you and to be engaged in the church and the mission of God in a way that you can't have when you are married. So if you're in that season right now, here's what God calls you to do. Study hard if you're in school. Work hard and get a job and love the people around you and pursue the mission of God that he has for you because you have an opportunity to capitalize on it right now that you won't be able to capitalize if God gives you a season of marriage ahead. So lean into that. And finally, if you're bored or you're lazy and you're a dad, a lot of us are dads, pursue the hearts of your children. Pursue the hearts of your children. So many dads today are more concerned about how good their kids are at sports and making sure they have every toy and gadget that they want rather than really being concerned about their eternity. Guys, that ain't okay. God has called us. We're the primary leader. Remember, we're building the foundation for the house. And we're called to point our kids towards Jesus. Now, let me just be real with you, okay? I struggle with this at my house too. 
some of y'all, you don't even know me really well, but like you have this perception of just what goes on at my house. You think I'm going to walk in this afternoon and just be like, all right, family, let's gather around for the three-hour family devotional on Sunday afternoon. All right, my kid just like drops his toys and comes running willingly. My wife walks in singing him, oh, victory in Jesus. All right. My son's got notebook in hand, and he's like, Dad, I want to take notes for all three hours, okay? Let me just tell you, that ain't it at my house. It's not. A lot of times we're trying to read Bible story before bedtime, so my kid's in bed, all right, and he's over here leaned up against the wall making bodily function noises with his mouth, and I'm trying to read, and I get mad and angry because he won't listen, and then I'm angry at him, and I got to repent to him or repent to God. That's how it goes down a lot of times. Let me just say this, guys. That's not an out for us to give up on pursuing the hearts of our kids. It's not. Some of my favorite conversations right now, when I get to drive home with my kid from Little Life on Sunday, or we talk on Sunday afternoon, or we read a Bible story before bedtime, and he's not making bodily function noises. And I get to talk about how God's Word, simple stories for a four-year-old, how they make sense for his four-year-old mind, and how they apply to his four-year-old life. Dude, that's it. And it just feels right when you're walking in that. So, fellas, don't be lazy or irresponsible, but pursue the hearts of your wife and of your kid. And if you're a single dude, man, you chase after Jesus like nobody's business. And guys, if you're a husband or a dad, all right, one of the ways that you can pursue and lead the hearts of your wife and kids is just praying for them out loud. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. I'm not a good prayer. Okay, that's not an excuse. It's not that hard. Let me set you up for the win. Take notes. All right, pull out your phone. Notes app right here. Tell, write this down. Go home tonight before everybody goes to bed. Lean over to your wife. Get the kid in there. However you want to do it. Do them separately. And I want you to look at him. And I want you to go, hey, daddy or baby wants to know how he can pray for you tonight. All right? And when they recover from their heart attack, all right, they're going to give you some things. They're going to give you some things for you to pray for. Maybe one thing. Maybe three, four things. Here's what you do. Listen in, guys. You say, dear God, and then you take the three things that they said, and you just say it just like they said it. And then you say, in Jesus' name, amen. And when you, get, when you open your, up your eyes, your wife's going to be crying, your kid's jaws are going to be on the floor, but it's a good thing. It's okay. You gave them what they're longing for. It's part of the reason like, they were like, hey, you want to go Sunday, 11 o'clock, man up? So that you would do things like that. That's leading. So the enemy uses pride, worry, laziness. Let's keep going. Verse 8, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Let's read the whole verse. It says, be alert and of sober mind, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Here's the fourth obstacle, men, that the enemy uses to destroy our foundation. It's isolation. Isolation. And as men, we are expert isolationists, because here's what we think. I got this. Guess what? You ain't got this. All right? It's proof. I ain't got it. You ain't got it. That's why God himself said it. Last week we read it. It says it's not good for man to be alone, Genesis 3. It's not good for man to be alone. God himself is in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God knew, better not try this thing alone. Let's be in community. And I tell guys all the time, if the enemy can get you alone, and I don't mean single, but if he can get you alone, he's got you right where he wants you. Because isolation is the devil's playground to invade your heart and your mind. And I've seen a lot of dudes go down because they live in isolation. Think about it. What is one of the ultimate forms of human punishment for a person who is in prison? Isolation. Men, when you've been watching the Discovery Channel... 
Who does the lion attack? Who does he come and get? He come and gets the little one that's on the outside of the pack, right? He goes and chases that gazelle that like found its own water in a hole or thought, hey, this will be a little cool path to follow. And you've been watching it before. Like that's the moment you stop and watch. The rest of the show is boring, but you want to see that moment. And what happens? They show the lion. Then they show the little gazelle that's like, oh, this looks like fresh water. And then they show the lion. Then they show the gazelle. And the music starts building. The camera shots get faster. And boom. The lion takes him out because he's standing all by himself. Guess where the lion doesn't get to very often? Middle of the pack. And here's the thing about a lot of churches, unfortunately. A lot of times as churches, we get it wrong. We take the weak ones and we stick them on the outside. We're like, hey, figure it out. Hope it works out for you. And I'm not saying we're perfect here because we're not. But the goal here is not that. The goal is that if you're weak and you're struggling and you're hurting, we want to put you in the middle of the pack if you'll come on. And we want to surround you and love you and help you. And if God's put you in a season of strength and maturity in Christ, then you find some of those weak people around you and you put them in the middle and you love on them. That's what spiritual community is all about. Men, are you isolated? Some of you are thinking, no, I got like 600 Facebook friends. <laughs> Come on, dude. Those aren't your friends. I'm sorry to break it to you. They're not your friends. A better question is this. Who's praying for you right now? And who are you praying for? And you want to get real honest? Let's go here. Who, just think of it right now. Who are one or two? I'll, I'll give it one. But one or two guys in your life right now that can look at you and speak hard, Christ-centered truth into your life because they know you and they know your situation. And then are you listening? See, men, we all need a band of brothers. And I heard a quote recently that said, a band of brothers is a lot like a retirement account. If you wait to make it until you need it, it's too late. And fellas... Jesus himself said, in this life, you will face troubles. It's not just the ladies. No, I don't care how big a boy you are. In this life, you will face troubles. That's why he said, we must surround ourselves with the body of Christ, the church. That's why he was so passionate about the church. And fellas, being a part of a life group matters. Being a part of a small group of spiritual community matters. A lot of you dudes are like, well, I don't know the Bible really that well. That's not an excuse. That's like saying, I'm too out of shape to go to the gym. That won't fly. You need men in your life to lock arms with who know what's going on with you and can love you and care for you and speak truth to you and minister to you, and then you can do the same thing for them. Every one of you are not too big for that. Fellas, serving on a team matters. Man, it's a super powerful thing when we have a guy within our body that steps up and goes, hey, I want to serve. Especially when they say, I want to serve in our little life, or preschool, our kid life, our student life, because I want to make an investment every week in the lives of children and students, a lot of them who probably don't even have a dad to speak truth into them. Every week, we have men who step into that role, and it's awesome. But can I be just real honest with you guys, lean in? We rarely have a trouble with ladies desiring to serve or be a part of spiritual community in a life group. Like, rarely, ever. You want to know who the problem's with? Not the men, because I can't call you that. It's the dudes. Guess what? We set the tone. And that ain't leadership. It's not. You need to quit trying to do it by yourself. You need to surround yourself with other people and be a part of spiritual community and give life through serving because it ain't all about you. The enemy uses isolation, wor- laziness, worry, and pride. And there's one more. Let's go. Verse 9. First Peter 5, verse 9 says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, I got to say, this verse does not directly say this, but this approach and tactic of the enemy is way too prevalent for me to not address it today. So the fifth and final way that the enemy tries to destroy your foundation as men is this right here, lust. Lust. And you could all right now name three, four, five, twelve dudes that have destroyed their family, their marriage, and their life because lust got the best of them. And we just read it there in verse 9, not only in verse 9, but all throughout God's word, if you want to read it, it says, resist the enemy and stand firm. Resist the enemy and stand firm. Resist the enemy and stand firm. That's true in every single area but one. Every single area but one. It's true in every single area to resist the enemy and stand firm, except in the area of lust. And you know what God's word says about that? Run for your life. Flee. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, the very beginning of that verse, this is what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, flee from sexual immorality. The Bible commands us to flee from sexual immorality, but the reality is for most of the dudes in our culture, they just flirt with it. Fellas, this means when you have images pop up on your social media feed, you don't do a double take, but you get out of the app and hand the phone to your wife or you put it on the table. This means when you're watching TV shows and images pop up that you wouldn't watch if Jesus was sitting on your couch with you because you claim that he is, then you don't just change the channel, but you turn the TV off. And if all the kids are in the room and they start whining, you go, nope, guess what? Daddy's leading out. Wow, how awesome would that be? Talking about setting a tone at your household. And that means that when a woman walks into the store wearing something she has no business wearing because she's just looking for approval because she can't get it, you don't do a double take, you walk out of the store. Fellas, God did not call us to flirt with sexual immorality, but he called us to flee it. And I talked to a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes. And guys, in my opinion, this is the granddaddy of them all. Satan can't play any other card. He's like, this one will break the foundation. Boom. And it blows up every single time. And we watch guys in the public eye on the news and we're like, man, how did they do that? Why did they fall like that? What were they thinking? Here's the answer. They weren't thinking. Don't think. Flee. Run. And I've heard it said that it's easy to do what's right when right is the only option. Guys, here's what that means in this area. Make your wife, if you're a married dude, make her the only option. And if you're a single dude right now, I'm sorry, but Jesus is the only option. Make your wife the only option. And in my role as a husband and as a dad and as a pastor, I have rules on top of rules on top of rules for this one. Because I love my wife and my kid and my family and you too much to go down that way. And I'm very well aware that there's a lot of spiritual leaders, a lot of church leaders, unfortunately, that have fallen to this one right here. But here's what I'm telling you as your pastor. I don't want to be another statistic. And I don't want you to be either. And that means not flirting with it. But that means fleeing from it. So guys, here's how we avoid this one. Here's how we avoid the bombshell of all bombshells. You got to decide ahead of time. If you wait to create an escape plan until you're in the moment, bah, it's over, you're done. You need to decide now 
to put truth in your life and, and accountability in your life. This means that that girl at work or at the gym that's just a friend that just smiles at you, that just gets you, the reality is she's a lion and she wants to kill you dead. And I want you to tell her I said so. And that means that that, in, that image that seems so innocent to look at, nobody will ever know. It's just me. That's a tool in the hand of the enemy to crush the foundation of everything that you're trying to build. Think about it, guys. If you were the enemy, how would you attack you? You know. So stand up and fight. The place where you are most likely to fall is the place where you need to get in and fight the hardest. And some of you are just going, I just give up. That ain't being a man. That's being passive, and that's what we talked about last week. The problem with men is not that we did something wrong, it's that we did nothing at all. God's called us to stand firm. All right, so what do we do? What do we do to avoid all these obstacles of the enemy that are trying to destroy the foundation of your life and your family and your relationships? Again, listen to me. Just like last week, it's not try harder, be better, buck up, be a man. That's, that's, that's not just it. We said it last week. The answer ain't in you and it ain't in me as a man. It's in the one man, the God man, Jesus. And if you keep reading in 1 Peter 5, this is what it says. 1 Peter 5 verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while, He will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And verse 11 says, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Guys, Peter says, after you have suffered for a little while. Guys, this means it's a fight. It's a fight. And in a fight, you get punched. You get punched. Which means, fellas, if you're not getting knocked around at least a little bit, you may not be in the fight. And if you don't feel the push of the enemy on your life, maybe because he's not your enemy and you're playing on his team. And if you don't feel the push of the current of the culture against what God's calling you to do for your family as a man, and maybe because you're just in the culture. But for some of you fellas, if you wake up every morning, all right, if you wake up every morning by lunchtime, you got a little bit of a bloody nose, welcome to the fight. It'll only be a minute compared to eternity with Jesus. Peter says, after you have suffered or fought for a little while, the God of all grace. In other words, guys, when you stand up, try to act like a man, and you try to do it in your own strength, and you fail, because we all have, you fall on grace. You fall on a good dad who's full of grace and who loves you, and he looks at you while you're down. And he doesn't mock you and criticize you and go, what are you doing? But he says, I can restore you. And I can build you up and make you the man that I called you to be. I said it last week, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to do for you what you can't do for yourself, guys. And it says, the God of grace who called you. Who called you. It's not just for the preachers and the good church-going dudes and the guys who seem to have it all together on social media. No, the God of all grace is for you. It means he sent his boy for you because he thought you were worth it and you matter. And it says when you surrender to trust Christ, guys, he will do four things in you. 
We just read it. He will restore you. Have you fallen short as a man? I mean, are there people in your life that you've hurt? Are there seasons of life that you or your family's missed out on because you failed to lead out? God can and will restore you if you'll let him. That's a good dad. It also says that he'll make you strong. He'll make you strong. Some of you are tired and you're worn out from the fight. I don't care how big a boy you are. Sometimes it gets the best out of you. And what scripture says there is that you can't fight on your own. Don't do it. Some of us have. Don't do it. But it says he will make you strong, not because of what you can do, but because of the power of Christ in you. And you want to know one of the ways he makes you strong is when he surrounds you with a band of brothers who will stand with you. That's one of the ways he makes you strong. Some of you are like, I don't need that. Guess what? Yes, you do. God can make you strong. Here's the third thing he does. He will also help you stand firm. He'll help you stand firm. The enemy in the fight is very real, and you can't stand by yourself. But God through you can help you stand firm no matter how intense that fight gets. Here's the last thing, number four. It says that God will help you be steadfast. In verse 10, it says that he will help you be steadfast. In other words, guys, if you've gotten knocked off the path, and you're here today at man up, because you ain't been. God can do all three of those things we just talked about. And then he can put you right on the right path. And if you trust him and lean into him, walk with him, he can help you stay steadfast and persevere. Because just to let you in, it's not getting any easier. It's not. Men, the enemy will attack you in one or all of these five places. Pride, worry, laziness, isolation, or lust. But God, Romans 5, but God, being rich in mercy, has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And if you remember the landing point last week, this is what we said. If you want to stand up and man up, it first means that you got to bow under to Jesus. And here's three statements, all right? Here's three statements of wisdom that I've heard a wise man lay out that I think sum all of this up. And guys, I want you to lean in. We're almost done. This is what it says. The rebellious man follows his own desires and ends up, despite some fun along the way, being devoured. Some of you, that's you. And you're chasing those things that seem so fun and so fulfilling right now, and you're having a little fun doing it. But scripture is very clear. It will kill you dead. The religious man follows his own rules and ends up, despite his effort, being devoured. We live in the Bible Belt where everybody's a Christian, right? And everybody goes to church. I don't think so. But this guy right here, he thinks that if he can outweigh all the bad things of his life by just doing enough good things, that it will fix it. It's not what that says. It says the enemy still wins. But here's the third man. The Christ-centered man follows Jesus, the victor, and ends up, despite some hardship, in victory. I challenge every man in the room today to pick which one of those three are you. Which one are you? See, guys, the reason I can speak this truth to you today is because one, there was a point in my life where I became a Christ-centered man. Not a perfect man, but a Christ-centered man. 
And I can tell you, there is no comparison to the other side. Second, I want you to know, it doesn't matter what your story is, what your background, how much you have failed at being a man. When you learn to bow down and surrender to Jesus, you no, lo- you no longer are fighting on your own strength, but you are now fighting from victory and not for victory. Because it's only in Jesus the victor that we find the strength to press on. So men, do you want to have a strong foundation for your life, for your marriage, your family, whatever you're leading? There it is. Humble yourself before God. Man, cast your worries on him. Don't be lazy and get in the game. Don't try to do it alone. Man, surround yourself with other brothers. You need them and I do too. And finally, flee, 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 flee. The temptation of the enemy. It ain't worth it. Do all that. Realizing the foundation that you are building It's not just for you to stand on, but it's for the whole house. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.